Welcome to the Let's Talk Energy podcast from EnergyNet. This series was recorded at the Africa Energy Forum 2023 in Nairobi, Kenya. Join us for this and other episodes as we talk to the industry players, stakeholders, and rising stars of Africa's energy sector. Hi, my name is Anne Mae Dittman. I'm the portfolio manager for the Climate Finance Partnership, which is a blended finance vehicle that is managed by BlackRock, which is the largest asset manager in the world. I sit in the BlackRock Climate Infrastructure Team, which is a team of 65 professionals that uh, invest in renewable power and enabling infrastructure. And the Climate Finance Partnership specifically invests in emerging markets, including Africa. Thanks, Anne-May. I'm John Marks. I'm Chairman and Editorial Director of African Energy, um, which publishes the African Energy newspaper. Uh, we have the African Energy Live database, which contains over 7,500 power projects across Africa, and we do consultancy work. And I'm particularly intrigued to be here today uh, to, to talk to Anne-May and hear about BlackRock, because as she said, we have the world's largest asset manager. That's not the kind of character that this industry has particularly known coming to see us over the years. I think that shows, reflects shifts within the industry um, and also the shifting role of private equity. There's a lot of private equity people here at AEF, but a huge number of them have at very least come out of government official financing background. So actually to see the pure money um, is uh, a very interesting factor. So now, Anne-May, your fund is a global fund, but it's got a percentage of Africa. Do you want to tell us how it's, how it's um, constituted, how much has been um, raised, has been committed already to projects, and, and then we'll go on to see where you think it's going. Thank you, John. Yes. And, and you know, your remarks there um, really resonate because you're right. You know, BlackRock traditionally have never been in, in these markets as much as we have now. Um, and we owe this in large part um, our, our entree into Africa specifically due to the Climate Finance Partnership. Yeah. Um, and just to give a, a couple words on, um, on an introduction to what the fund is, uh, because it is actually really also unique for BlackRock. It's the only blended finance public private vehicle that BlackRock manages, direct equity vehicle that BlackRock uh, manages. Um, And this was done in conjunction with catalytic investors and private investors. Um, Some of our catalytic investors include Proparco, which is the development finance institution for France, uh, KFW, which is the DFI for Germany, and JBIC, which um, is the development arm for Japan including some uh, leading U.S. impact institutions as well. And they provide this catalytic portion of that blended finance vehicle. Uh, And then that money, that investment that they made in this fund, mobilized a huge amount of private capital into these markets. So one of the ways in which we brought private capital into these markets, you know, I think you're um, alluding to this in your remarks is is that catalytic capital. So we're really pleased to be able to deliver this fund on behalf of our investors. The fund um, focuses on three regions. It's a global fund, as you mentioned, but three regions. 
one, which is Africa, yep. the other, which is Latin America uh, and Caribbean, and the third being APAC, really Southeast Asia. And the African commitment piece of it is a minimum of 25% committed to the AUM of the fund to Africa. And the fund is um, $673 million, so close to $700 million uh, of, of AUM. So setting up the fund from a BlackRock perspective, as you say, it's a climate fund and it's very different. What came first? Was it the fact that BlackRock felt it had to come in and get a climate fund? Or was it tempted to, was it saying, well, look, there's a lot of uh, DFI action. There's a lot of uh, what people might call philanthropy around there. I mean, we're seeing some really big entrants, as you say. Uh, uh, What was the actual, the, the original point of departure? That's a really great question, um, and, and that is where the beginning of our journey is, right? So back in 2018, at the One Planet Summit, our CEO, Larry Fink, uh, together with President Macron, conceived this idea. They basically said, look, there's a problem. The problem is that there, there is so much to be invested in in these markets, and, and including in Africa, uh, but we don't have as much private investment in there that we need. And honestly, when it comes to achieving net zero globally, we can't leave emerging markets behind. I mean, they, not just because they have the largest demographic growth, but just, but just because you cannot actually only have OECD markets achieving net zero and the, the emerging markets not, and somehow we've achieved net zero for the yeah. planet, right? We're one planet. Um, so it was really at that summit where uh, Larry, our CEO, and, and uh, President Macron agreed that they wanted to create a vehicle that combined public and private money to, to, to try to tackle some of this and invest in these markets that are the most vulnerable to climate change, um, but also have a, a, a really compelling financial um, uh, you know, mission as well for, for our investors. So, uh, so we were really pleased. I mean, it's, it's a great question because you're right. Like, it, you don't just wake up one day and it, it's just there. And it's not like normal private equity markets where, um, are, you know, you have regular way investors who are interested. It really kind of took this, this, uh, this aha moment of, look, we want to tackle this and let's tackle this together, public and private. It's, it's an interesting point, of course. So you're saying that, uh, that, that the tie-up with Macron, of course, who's a, a rare investment banker that's come a head of state, <laughs> uh, possibly might have that now in the UK with Rishi Sunak as well, a uh, man who made his money in the industry before uh, coming and, 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 and would understand. I think this is really interesting because when it comes to private equity, we've seen private equity players, including some of the biggest names up on the same marquees as, as BlackRock are, who've come and more or less come with great fanfare and gone with uh, slightly less fanfare. And it is an interesting thing. May I ask, you've got this group of people. Um, you've got DFIs, you've got the impact investors, and you've got yourselves from extremely commercial private equity and and culturally how does that blend work amongst the people who are there you know i love this question because one of the things that we're so proud about is that it's not just a blending of financial capital it's a blending of human capital 
Yeah. So it's, 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 it's great that you're touching upon this. And, and because you are working with investors that, of different backgrounds, different value set, different mission, and so in order for this fund to be successive, uh, success, successful is that we need to basically understand each of our value sets and, and, and really sort of level set. Um, and one of the things we're really proud of at BlackRock is that the DFIs have been operating in emerging markets far longer than BlackRock has sure. been, right? I mean, they have immense experience, uh, in particular on ESG. And when you're dealing with infrastructure assets, when you're dealing with climate infrastructure assets that are geofixed assets that have real implications when it comes to ESG matters, the DFIs are so experienced and they've really, I would say, enhanced our process yep. in terms of the ESG risk management, which is so critical for the success of this fund. Um, and so... We actually, um, one of the things that we're really proud of is that we actually have a, a, a very specific committee. And in private equity, as, as you know, it's very common to have uh, an, an LP advisory committee, an LPAC. That's very, very common where the LPs, your, your large LPs will advise on certain matters. And obviously, if there's some conflict, they'll, they will advise on that, um, weigh in and vote. But this committee is separate from all that. It is, it is singularly focused on ESG risk management um, and also impact reporting. Because one of the things we want to do is to be able to lead the market together in, in this space. And now, as we know, for commercial institutions, ESG reporting has proved uh, an extremely thorny issue. So would you say actually from BlackRock's perspective, the tie-up with DFIs particularly actually has had a very positive almost uh, kind of uh, knowledge-giving issue. Absolutely. And one of the things that, um, to your point, the nomenclature on this is different. The methodologies are different. We don't have any sort of standardized sets in which, uh, a, a vocabulary even, that we're using. Um, and and, and you know, let alone, you know, what are we measuring? What is the, what's well, the transparency? Great, great point. You know, um, that, that uh, yeah, what's the transparency that our investors demand from us, including our DFI investors? Yeah. And, yes, working together, and, and so to your point of, of the different sets of investors, one of the things that the DFIs have certainly been able to help us improve, and also just the talking together is, is, is determining, well, what should we be measuring? Uh, you know, how should we be talking about it? And how should we be talking about it in a way that also resonates with private investors so that they're even, they continue to want to mobilize into this space. Yes. Um, and one of the things we do, just as an example, is we dollarize our impact. Some of the UN SDGs that we, we align our investment strategy alongside, we measure how we achieve those in a dollarized fashion so that private investors, it resonates more with private investors so that they can evaluate your fund's performance on an impact level and, and hopefully continue to want to invest in this space because of the impact performance in addition to the financial performance. And because there is the financial performance as well, and, and you, are, you haven't got to be the world's largest asset manager without um, having a rate of return. Now, many of the people out in the hall here would be saying, for example, for African Power Projects, that the rate of return they're being asked to provide um, by governments uh, just doesn't make it feasible. The host country here, Kenya, 
developers are saying exactly that. We cannot get an IPP away because the rates of return are so low. How do you rationalize those two things? It is extremely difficult um, because you're right. I mean, we we have a little bit of a Goldilocks problem, I would call it sometimes, because <laughs> um, we, we're we at a... It's our, a bear market. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It is. And, and, and also, you know, trying to find things with the returns that, that, that you need to meet for your, your private, uh, your public and private investors, of course, um, but yet also achieving the impact. So, so you're you're now considering a whole a whole host of things, yeah. um, and some of the, some of the times you have projects that uh, platforms or projects that that are so that are too early. Yes. Um, and and the returns could be could be very attractive, but but a, a bit too early in the the in their yeah. life so, cycle. So the, so the actual risk profile is a little bit too high. Exactly. And then sometimes you ha- and then you have the on the other end you have projects that are you know fully operating and while the they have good yield and ha- and, and could also be you know nice for for our, our investors it it's not creating that development impact that our our investors are also looking to to grab as well so one of the things we look at in the portfolio management team is it's a global fund so one yeah. of the good things is that we get to construct the fund in a way where, okay, maybe you have something that's a little, you know, like you said, a little riskier, a little earlier, and then maybe you take something that, because it's so hard to find the one thing that's right in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so you you, you're to, hedging. You've got... Exactly right. It's um, Exactly right. It's an interesting one. Now, perhaps recapitulate on the percentage of Africa you've got within the fund at the moment. And also, is are there exceptional problems dealing with sub-Saharan Africa uh, as you found them or is it fairly normal because actually you know doing stuff in India can be hard or or, or Guatemala although actually the Central uh, Central Americans have some interesting successes that possibly could be used to learn from no no you're right I mean in in some ways it, it they we all have I mean, all the countries, when you're working with developing markets, will have particular issues that are that are specific to that country's political regime, rule of law, uh, currency, uh, you know, um, inflation. It, they all have their particular um, issues that you'll have to work around, structure around, think about. Um, that being said, you know, one of the great things about having a mandate to invest in these markets is that you have to just get over it. You yeah. know, I mean, um, because I think we had the luck when we were investing in largely OECD markets, it's just better understood. And it's not that these issues are not overcomable, but you have enough of a pause, a hesitation that you weren't doing it. Um, one of the great things about having a blended finance fund uh, with public and private um, um, capital in here is that the public funds is helping us manage those idiosyncratic risks that the private investors would otherwise have been hesitant to come into the fund uh, because of that. Yep. So um, so we do have the mandate, which is fantastic, I think. And I think the more we can do this, the more we can invest in these markets, and to your point, like Central America, the more we can show that there are successes, then the, the more investment that can be made into these markets. And does the, um, the fact that like you've got the impact investors 
how does that work to keep down the cost of the of the capital? So it doesn't. It's not quite a capital cost reducing um, mechanism. What it really is is, is more. Um, it's not a. This is not a terrific way to describe it, but more of a risk buffer, so that um, so that the catalytic capital is taking greater risks of uh, versus the private capital. Okay. Um, but um, but it it's not you know it's not a, a completely adequate description. No, uh, but they are to, coming. Perhaps in. to explore that then. How would how, I've 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 just come you 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 love my solar project, you love my solar project in the middle of the desert, and you want to invest in it. How how within the fund would each of the participants behave? I mean, presumably your team obviously are the ones doing the the business, but what would be how would the, exactly the input of the three different components work to back my solar project? Yeah, so it's it's a compl- it's a holistic fund. So there's not different tranches or anything like, okay. like that that you might be more familiar with on a debt blended finance vehicle, for instance. Absolutely. So it's a holistic fund. Um, it's one to four catalytic to private um, capital ratio. So effectively, the 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 catalytic capital absorbs some, not all, some losses ahead if should they occur um, first. So we, of course, are the manager, and we would, of course, diligence manage. Um, one of the things I mentioned was this climate impact committee that we're yeah. really proud of. We, to the extent that we, we rate all the investments in terms of risk. So in your, your solar uh, project, we would, we would have our ESG officer, um, together with our, our consultants, rate the, the risk profile of that project. And if it's a high risk or substantially high risk project, we present it to our, our catalytic um, our climate impact committee so that they can give us feedback. So some of this is much more, much more hands-on uh, for a fund. Normally you have private investors who kind of sit back and they're, yeah, they're you're going to do your due diligence. You're going to make sure you, you're going to try and find out about that. My dodgy partner that you don't want to know about. <laughs> now <And> I do. <laughs> now you do. Exactly. And, um, and, and, and you, you would do that level of due diligence, but you haven't got the other, level that you would have here that Correct. um yes really and getting their feedback too so it's not just we you know we do a, a very thorough esg analysis obviously because like i said yeah. you know these markets um the the fund is also compliant with ifc performance standards which is you know international benchmark Absolutely. for this so so it, it is a, a high level of standards and we prepare all of this diligence and we present it to our investors who are the most knowledgeable um and and is able to give us feedback on, you know, this issue um, I don't like, or, you know, this issue I would manage it in this way. So we're better managers for it because we're learning, you know, as we go. And there's no better way to learn, as you know, than when you actually have something live before you uh, to work together on. Um, So, so it is very, um, it's a very part, it's very partnerly partnership. Absolutely. So, so just to, to guide people, I mean, this community, people have projects always looking for finance. Um, It's uh, as there's a cliche that passes around the developer community that actually, um, I mean, we know all the blockages in the system and very often this, the blockages down to policy, down to 
down to capacity, down to all the issues that we know. But actually, there's enough money around. I'm still never quite sure about that one. And I guess if you've got money, you see a lot of people. So what kind of projects are you doing, just as sort of ideal type? Um, and how would you see the, the, the fund going forward, expanding of, of the projects that you've now supported, set the precedents for where you're going, or the other areas that you'd be looking at? Um, how far does the idea of climate finance actually go in the, in the, in the number of sectors? Perhaps some, just a feel for that would be great. Yeah, so let me start with just telling you about a couple of deals that we announced because mm. that gives you a flavor of what we've completed so far. Yeah. Um, one of our, our first investment actually was uh, was in Africa. Okay. Um, we announced uh, that we signed um, um, an SPA for the Lake Turkana Wind Project. Remember um, it well. Which, yeah, is a marquee uh, project here in, in Kenya. So And we're so pleased to be in Nairobi uh, yeah. um, as well uh, for AEF. Uh, so that's like one example, you know, largest wind farm uh, on the continent supplying, you know, around 14 percent of Kenya's power like that. That's that's the type of project that yeah. um, uh, that we invested in. And one of the things that's most exciting to us about that project are the expansion opportunities, yeah. the opportunities to do even more um, um, at the project site. So that's one. Um, the other project that, uh, or other platform that we announced was that we invested in uh, Cleantech Renewables, which is in the Philippines, uh, which is a leading uh, renewable developer in the Philippines uh, for up to one gigawatt uh, development of solar assets. So that just gives you a flavor of, of like countries and, and obviously types of projects. Climate infrastructure is obviously renewable uh, generation, as you as you know, but we also include enabling infrastructure in that, okay. and that includes you know uh, battery, um, uh, grid stability, transmission. So it includes a, a so wider. So you're there set. for the the next holy grail of African power <laughs> to uh, to invest in transmission. Well, you know, transmission is really tough because it's yeah. extraordinarily expensive. The revenue model. I mean, we could go on to. We could talk about transmission for a long time. Um, that would be that would be incredibly impactful. I think we recognize that, trend, you know, transmission type assets are incredibly impactful. Uh, it, it really unlocks. It yeah. unlocks the the uh, the renewable power. Well, I mean, you're from America. I'm from Britain. Our countries at the moment are coming to the terrified recognition that our own uh, transmission systems don't work and the incredible amount of investment and problems that we're going to have to do to overcome it. So actually Africa's in the same boat, but it hasn't, um, it's been a difficult model, hasn't it, for working transmission into projects, into generation projects. Correct. And, and, and so it's difficult. Yeah, and the revenue model is very difficult because it um, it's, I'm from the U.S., and so, you know, we are, our utilities, um, they build this into their rate cases. I mean, there's a whole system around how that would be um, fortified yes. uh, and how and how the uh, utilities get paid for that. Um, it's less, trans, you know, it's less obvious in, in, in the markets that we're investing in. Well, but where, I, where the but state's it, always been the essential and, and indeed de jure monopoly over the system. And uh, and and uh, and funding that Correct. is extremely difficult if you want to bring in private finance. Yes, 
Indeed, 100%. if you want to bring in public finance, it's difficult. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's hard enough to do. It's hard enough to to publicly finance them, uh, let alone privately finance them. So I think it is. It that's very challenging. Um, you know, our team has invested in climate infrastructure. You know, for a long time, and so uh, for you know a dozen years now, and and so our team is very experienced in in climate infrastructure assets, but not so experienced in these markets. Yeah. So for us, what we were delivering for our investors is that asset technology expertise, um, but the, it's the new markets that that is newer for us. I mean, and not you know, and maybe that's unfair to say to us because. Africa is, 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 of course, the one that we're least experienced in. But in APAC, uh, as well as in LATAM, we have teams on the ground. I mean, we've been, we have been operating there for some time. So Africa is probably the one that is, the, in terms of markets, is the, is the newest for us. In terms of markets, we're coming near to the end of our time, but it could be observed that um, the conception of a market, if you're an investor, is different from the sort of market that we have here, which is very difficult to invest in. I mean, 25 years of the Africa Energy Forum uh, and indeed of our own African Energy publication um, has seen, you know, there was a spike upwards in IPPs in the late 90s when this started and then it stopped. And getting it back, I mean, like your investment in Lake Tacana Wind, which has developed very well, um, you know, I was delighted to see the, the, the change of, of ownership as well. Eric Granskog coming in and, you know, it was, it was great. Very important. But there have been so few others. And, and it is a, a problem of, uh, I, I think, do you, do you perceive that? That the, so, the very slow pace still of projects coming out, coming ahead, really makes it difficult yeah, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg, as, as yeah. you're, I think, pointing out. And, and just to clarify, Eric Granskog is with uh, Melele yeah. that announced their investment in Lake Turkana That's as right. well. Um, uh, and they've completed their transaction. We're actually still awaiting yeah. a, um, some some conditions to be um, to be achieved before we can close on our investment. But we announced that, that those we, are technical we or those are technical. Or? We have a regulatory approvals, for instance. Yeah. So we we have some yeah, approvals. We have to wait before we can we can actually yeah. complete. Whereas Malele did close uh, their um, their investment. But you're absolutely right. It's a little chicken and egg, and and, and it's a little frustrating uh, as you're pointing out because things are moving so slow. Um, it, yeah. it does seem uh, you move a couple steps forward, and then you're you know, and then uh, you know you're a step back. Um, and and there's a lot of elements to that. There's no one there's no one reason for why things aren't moving, I think, as quickly as we all would like. But one thing that I hope is that we can prove out our fund's mission to our investors, and then it will incentivize other investors to be attracted to, to making these investments as well, um, both from a financial perspective, but also from an impact perspective. Okay. And then we see more we just need to see more dollars, frankly. Absolutely. Um, and and just from a climate justice angle, um, it's uh, it, it's well overdue. So, last question: G Going ahead, where do you see you see a second fund coming? I hope uh, <laughs> a, a, an enlarged enlarged fund, the model coming, and you'd be interested to see other other investors coming in for similar kind of models it's a really real groundbreaking thing that's happened here. yeah i think you know for us what we would love to achieve in the long term is that we don't even need catalytic capital we don't even need public 
um, uh, investors. Uh, we can, I mean, obviously, public investors will always have a role, uh, but they can do it in other ways. There's other enabling uh, um, things that they can do to support emerging markets platforms and, and projects in climate infrastructure. But what we would love to see is eventually down the line, you know, emerging market funds that are dedicated to developing markets that are purely private capital. Uh, that would be that would be like the the dream dream. It is well it, well, it, well it is, and it's been talked about for so long. But this is where some things happening, and um, yeah, this is where you have to start, right? The you have to start somewhere. Green, <laughs> the, the, the famous green shoots. Well, thank you very much. Um, anything else you'd like to comment on? Or we, I think we've covered a few bases. No, thank you. Thank you, John, for the, the really insightful questions. We're very happy to, to have this conversation. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. As I say, talk, talking as uh, someone who's been in this industry African-wise for a very long time, it's very nice to see very new classes of uh, investor coming in um, with some fresh thinking. So very good. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Let's Talk Energy podcast from EnergyNet. This series was recorded at the Africa Energy Forum 2023 in Nairobi, Kenya. Join us for this and other episodes as we talk to the industry players, stakeholders, and rising stars of Africa's energy sector.